I am blessed uh, beyond measure, and I'm I'm blessed to um, to call myself the pastor of of you amazing people. And um, so thank you for the opportunity, and it's good to be home again. We had a, a great um, vacation week. We spent the first part of our vacation preaching at a at a family camp in Arizona. And um, from people who used to attend our church here, the Gators, and they sent greetings. Um, they they happened to attend. This is just a fun fun part of the story. They happened to attend a church in Tucson, Arizona, that's pastored by a gentleman named Kyle Coffin. And some of you don't maybe remember he was the youth and worship pastor here in Big Bear many years ago at Community Church. So they ended up both from Big Bear at the same place by. God chance, I guess. So, um, so I got to visit with him, and and but they send greetings. We had a good time and, and vacation, and came back refreshed and ready to just continue to do what the Lord wants to do. And uh, it's a lot. The Lord wants to. The Lord wants to move in our lives, in this place, in this community. He is not done yet. Uh, I don't know if you watch the news too much. Um, I I was reading reading and kind of watching the news too much. I feel like. There's a feeling of, of helplessness and hopelessness and what is this country coming to? Um, there's so much division within uh, the nation, within people that should not be divided. Um, people, even Christians, are being divided upon, uh, among party lines and, and that is something that we shouldn't see. Um, but you know, God is not done with us yet. And so I just want to encourage us to continue to press into what the Lord has because he has a lot more in store. Does anyone have any unsaved family or friends in their life? See, God is not done yet because they're not saved. And so he wants to use us to bring his blessings and his um, life and his spirit to the world. So, so we're going to be encouraged this morning that uh, God is still on the move. Amen? Amen. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning. We are not in Ephesians today. We're going to take a week break, and we'll get back in there next week. We're going to start talking about the family and, and, and family relationships. But this morning, uh, we're going to be all over, so just hang, hang tight. Um, anyways, and so if, if you have a Bible, we'll, you, know, you can maybe have one of these with your Bible on or get your Bible out. We'll be referring to some passages um, this morning, I just want to talk about a couple of different people out of the Bible. So we're going to be doing some character studies and finding out some, uh, some of the different people in life. But uh, there was a man who once had a dream. This might be semi-familiar to you. A man had a dream one night, and in his dream, he was walking along the seashore. And as he walked along the seashore in his dream, he looked up, and in the sky flashed scenes from his life. And as different scenes were flashing by, he turned around and looked behind him. And he noticed that at some times in his life, there were two sets of tracks in the sand. And that at other times, when life seemed really difficult and hard to manage, he would look back and only see one set of tracks. And then at other times, when life was really difficult, he looked back and in, in the sand was one set of tracks and a, and a couple of squiggly lines. And he said... Lord, what is this that I'm looking at? He says, I thought you would always be with me. And he says, my son, when you look back at, in the sand, you see two sets of tracks. That was when we were walking together. He says, well, what about those times that there was just one set of tracks? And the Lord said to him, those were the times that life was hard and I, and I had to carry you. 
And he says, well, Lord, what about those squiggly lines? He says, well, those are the times in your life that you were being rebellious and I had to drag you. <laughs> and so uh, that, that kind of fits all of us. At times we're walking with the Lord, at times we're needing to be carried, and at times we're just being dragged because we don't want to go. Um, but this morning I want to talk about how the, the Lord is always with us. He was always with the man in the dream, and he's always with us too. Uh, we know... The Bible teaches us, and I want to go over a couple of scriptures this morning. The Bible teaches us that God is always with us. Amen? Amen? How come on the cross then did Jesus say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is God always with us or is he not? Many people, and I want to clear this up if this is, is something you bought into, because I bought into it many years ago, and it took a long time for me to realize that sometimes in the church, we teach things that the people in the church, it gets taught poor doctrine and one part of poor doctrine is the fact that that on the cross god left jesus because he could not stand to be around sin have you ever heard that okay we've we, many of us have heard that that god was no longer with jesus because because jesus had the sin of the world on him and that god could not be in the presence of sin here's the problem with that god is in my presence all the time i've got sin in my life God can be in the presence of sin. Sin is no uh, match for the love and the mercy of God. That is a, a bad understanding that God can't be in the presence of sin. Do you remember back in the book of Job? Um, it said when Satan came before with the angels to the presence of God. Satan stood in the presence of God and had an audience with God. God let him in, and he, and he actually had a conversation with Satan about temptation. If God cannot be in the presence of sin, how could he be in the presence of Satan, who is the master of sin? He is lie. He is death. And so we, if, we, if we've understood, if you've understood that, that God can't be in the presence of sin, I always want to break that. That's just an incorrect teaching. Now, the Bible says that he doesn't want to look upon our sin. He hates our sin. He's not afraid of it. God is not afraid of your sin. He does hate it, though. But he hates it with a righteous hatred of the sin and not the sinner just like God calls us to be. So we need to understand that throughout the Bible, we see that, that God is with the believer even when he is in sin. He's with you. You know, bumper stickers are great theology, and they're, they've got to be biblical because they're on the back of a car, so they must be true. But, but uh, bumper sticker theology says this, feeling far from God, who moved? Okay? Yeah. Who moved? God didn't move. You didn't walk into sin and God went, oh no, I can't go there. God is with you every step of the way. Even when you're rebellious. Even when you're discouraged, he's with us. And we want to, I want to talk this morning about some people um, who are going to give us some good examples. But first, let's make sure we understand that God is everywhere. I have a whole bunch of scriptures. I'm only going to go through a few um, so that we can get into the, to the meat. First, Psalm 139. If, if there's going to be one scripture that helps us to understand what we call the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence is that wonderful thing that God is everywhere all at the same time. I can't understand that, but God is everywhere at the same time. He doesn't have to go back and forth. He is. 
Psalm 139, though, gives us a great picture. And this is David. And he says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And some of you, you go, that was my testimony. I mean, I made my bed right in hell. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Why? Because God is always there. God never leaves us, the Bible says, nor forsakes us. In fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus was going to go to the Father, he says, I am leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit of promise to be with you. And then he says, not just to be with us, but he says, to be in you. When Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sent us the Holy Spirit to live inside of believers. Now, now this is, this is one thing that, one of the many things that separates us as believers, and, and most of us here are, are, are a believer this morning, and if you're not, this is a great day to become one. But, but the, the Bible says that we are different from the world in a few ways, and one of the ways is this. As a believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Now, that's pretty cool. But let me make it more cool than that. The Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God. Too often, I've done this before, too often we have this bad understanding. We feel like it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Somehow we've demoted Holy Spirit to not be equal with God. And, and really, and we're gonna, I'm working on this still in my life. I have, I've, I've been working on changing the way I talk about God. And here's what I've been trying to do because this is more correct. We used to say things like this. There's God, there's Jesus, and there's Holy Spirit. That's, that's not an accurate view. How about this? There's the Father, there's the Son, Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit, uh, and let me go straight across, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of which is God. It's not God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of which is God. That's the Trinity. I know we believe that. I'm hammering it to help us understand that God lives in you even when you're a knucklehead. Amen. Thank God. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. My sin does not scare him. My doubt does not freak him out in any way. God lives in me. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But as a believer, he lives in me. Where those who aren't believers don't have God living in them. They also cannot escape the presence of God. But, but not only am I in the presence of God, the presence of God is inside of me and in you. Now that should get us really excited or really freaked out. Because we know us and we understand what that, that could mean. No matter where we go, God is there. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us. John 13, is where it says, I will be with you only a little while longer. 
but he sent his Holy Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, if you're taking notes, it says that, that we are the temple of God, the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of God, like that, dwells inside of us. Now, now again, to, to help us get the Holy Spirit idea, the Holy Spirit did not show up in the New Testament and was not active or present in the Old Testament. Remember Genesis, the beginning of Genesis? Remember, it said that the Spirit of God was hovering above the water. He, to help us understand, every time you see in the Old Testament the Spirit of God, that is Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God hovering in the water is the same Spirit that lives inside of you and lives inside of me. It's awesome. We're not orphans. We're not alone. He's with us all the time. This morning I want to talk about a couple of people to, to help bring in that God is always with us whether we feel him or not. See, the, the problem is not whether or not God is with us, it's whether we're in relationship with him, whether we're in fellowship with him, whether we feel and know his presence, and really not feel, but whether we know his presence is with us. I want to talk about a guy who was a knucklehead, so we can, some of us can relate with him, and that is Jonah. Jonah was a knucklehead. He had, he had a word from God that he was supposed to go and preach to a group of people that he didn't like because they were not for Israel. He was supposed to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Well, Jonah was a prophet. He heard the voice of God. And so he did what many of us would do when we didn't want to do what God did. He ran away. And so Jonah runs the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. And we know the story of Jonah, at least to some degree. We, we've heard of Jonah and the whale or the big fish. And... Uh, and really, I, I do believe it's a fish and not a whale, and we can talk about that another time if you ever ask me why. But so he's running away. He's on a boat. He's going for Tarshish in a whole different direction. The storm comes. The boat starts rocking, and, and all the guys on the boat are freaking out. They have some understanding of God, and they're saying, God, they're, the gods must be against us. And they start casting lots, and Jonah goes, listen, it's me. You know, I, I, I'm the one, I'm the reason that this whole thing is going bad and the ship is in trouble. If you take me and throw me overboard, your, your troubles will be, will be over. And, and honestly, I think Jonah just was kind of like where we have gotten in our lives sometimes. Like, you know what, just throw me in the ocean. I want to be done, you'll be done, woe is me, I'm over it, let's just end this. I don't think Jonah thought he would live in this tumultuous ocean. But, but here in Jonah, it says that God prepared a great fish. So Jonah is running from the presence of God, and yet the presence of God is with Jonah, causing all this, this, this tumultuous seas. And it says that ahead of time, God prepared a giant fish. Now, where he got this giant fish? I mean, there's not so big fish so big that they can swallow human all over the place. There's just a few of them here and there. And they still have them. Every once in a while, they catch these huge fish that can just eat a man. And, and so God prepared one of those fish, told him to go over there. They threw Jonah in, and just in time, the fish swallows Jonah. And I think that's pretty cool that God uh, was going to track Jonah down even when Jonah was in rebellion because the presence of God never left Jonah. If you're in rebellion today, you can be sure that the presence of God is going with you and that God is chasing you down. 
He has a plan for you, and he does not want to give up, and he will never give up on you. So we know the story, of course. Fish takes uh, Jonah over. He spends three days in there, and I tell you, when that fish spit Jonah up on the land, and he comes walking out, no wonder Nineveh repented, because here's this guy bleached out from being in a stomach and stomach acids for a couple days. He probably did not look very good. Talk about a bad hair day. And he goes and he preaches to the Ninevites. He preaches a really, really simple, short message, and the entire city repents. And, and so the, the story, it, it, it does end kind of fun. Uh, God prepares a, a nice branch to give Jonah shade. Then God prepares a, pre- prepares a worm to teach him a lesson. And God, Jonah is angry with God. And this is just kind of for fun. This is just a little extra part. When you read to the end of Jonah... If I were going to write this, I would write, and Jonah repented, and he lived happily ever after with God. But if you read the end of Jonah, Jonah and God are having this little argument, and, uh, and Jonah's like, well, I have a right to be angry. And God, God says, you, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored. You didn't make it grow. It came up in a night. It perished in a night. Why shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 people? who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. See, sometimes I think God thinks that about us, going, man, you guys don't know the, the difference between your right and your left, but he still loves us. And that's where it ends. You know, Jonah, he never said he got it, but God did. He never let go of Jonah. Let's go, to me, go with me to Genesis. I heard... Many, a couple of years ago, I, was, I saw this article of a, uh, a Muslim, and it says, a former Christian minister turns to Islam. And there was a video about this, and I went, well, that's, that's pretty unusual, pretty strange, that a minister would, would switch to Islam. So I decided to check it out to see what it was. Boy, they, they use that term loosely. He was the son of a pastor who helped out at his youth group. And then he became Islam. And one of the reasons he said he changed to Islam, this young, dumb man, and he was really a boy. I'm just going to say it as it is. Um, he said, the reason I don't think that the, the Christian Bible is correct is because everyone in the Bible was a knucklehead. He was a loser. He made mistakes. He didn't do the right thing. God wouldn't use people like that. Now, I read the Bible and say, thank God the Bible's written like that. That means I work. It's, it works for me because I don't do everything right. But if you think about it, the whole Bible is full of people who might make some good decisions but end up, all of them, making really bad choices and decisions. And we can find ourselves in, in one of those spots. Sure, they, they might walk righteously for a while, but they have these issues that come up. I mean, Abraham had faith and yet didn't have faith. Right? In fact, Abraham, who God said, I'm going to raise, uh, I'm going to cause a whole nation to come out of you, lost faith. Right after it says that God counted his belief as righteousness, right afterwards he goes, well, I'm not having any kids. And so his wife says, hey, we're not having kids together. Take my maidservant, Hagar, and have a kid with her. And so Abraham follows that advice and has this son named Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? He was the guy that, that was not supposed to receive the promise of God. 
Well, then Abraham finally believed God again and started having kids. And he had, he had Isaac, and then there was Jacob after, um, came after Isaac. And we want to talk about one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob ends up becoming Israel. Um, the, the name Israel and also the tribes of Israel all come from them. Chapter 37, Genesis, we find the story of Jacob in verse 2. It says this, This is the history of Jacob. And then it picks out one son. The history of Jacob, the grandson of, of Abraham, is Joseph. And it begins to talk about Joseph, who at this time was 17 years old. Okay? If you know anything about uh, Judaism, th- a, a boy becomes a man at 13. It's, that's when he becomes a man. And at that point, should be out in the fields with the men doing all the man stuff. We find that at 17, Joseph is still at home and his brothers are out doing the man stuff. So, so he's being favored by dad. Dad loves him. Uh, his, because of that, any, is anyone the most fa- Here we go. Who's any one of us the favored people in the family? You go, yeah, I know. Mom and dad love me the best. <laughs> so, so, okay, how about this? Anyone in here have a sibling who is the favored one? See, yeah, right? Because, yeah, I, I have one. I'm not the one. I have one. In some families, not all, but in some families, there's the one who seems like they're the favored one. Joseph was the favored one. Now, what happens to the favored ones by their siblings? They get beat up, right? They get teased, tortured, beat up. They don't like them. This is a Joseph story. Joseph was the favored one by his dad. Because of that, the brothers didn't like him. They're out working hard, and Joseph is at home, right? But every time Joseph shows up, they, I could just imagine, it's not all in here, but we see enough, they probably gave him a really hard time. So dad sends Joseph out with his cool tunic of many colors that's just, that separates him from his siblings, and he says, go bring some pizza to your brothers, see how they're doing. I'm not sure if they ate pizza or not, but we'll just say they did. So Joseph goes out and finds the brothers, right? And, and now, now in the process, sometime before he goes out and finds them in the field, he has a, he has a dream. And all of his bro- in the dream, he, there was the, the, um, the, the sheaves were all bowing down to Joseph. He has another dream. And the, basically the dreams come out to be that all the brothers and his mom and dad are going to bow down to him. The sun and the moon are going to bow down to Joseph. And he was dumb enough to tell the dream. That was Joseph's mistake. He should never tell that dream. So they are not happy with Joseph. This is a quick version of it. So he goes out and he finds them. And when he finds them, the Bible says that they saw Joseph far off. And they began to plot to kill him. Joseph is coming and they go, you know what, I'm tired of the dreamer. Let's kill him. One of the brothers tries to get him out, free him up from their hands and says, let's not kill him. Let's just, you know, don't shed any blood. Cast him into the pit. And later Reuben was going to go save him. At the same time, the brothers are contemplating his death. Some traders come by. We know the story, right? And so the brothers go, hey, let's sell him into some slavery here. And then we'll just tell dad that he's dead. We don't want to kill him. Maybe that wouldn't go well with us. Let's just sell him into slavery and we know that these these traders these midianite traders buy him and take him to egypt 
Now, it's really important to, to find out here, verse 20, it says, Midianite traders passed by, the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, which, by the way, is only about two months um, of wages. 20 shekels of silver. About two months of wages is the way I can figure that out. So can you imagine selling one of your siblings for five, six thousand dollars? I don't know if we could have gotten that much for one of our brothers, but we'll see, you know. <laughs> they sold him, and Joseph goes to Egypt. Here, here's the first thing I want to point out. Did you catch who these traitors were? These, and it's not traitors, but traitors. They were Ishmaelites. Do you remember who the Ishmaelites were? They were the people of Ishmael, the, the wrong son. God used Abraham's folly in Ishmael to save Joseph. When you have a problem and a mistake in your life, God can redeem it so much that he chose to use. He could have chosen any group of people. He chose to bring Ishmaelites right by at the time so that Joseph wouldn't die to bring Joseph to Egypt, which we know eventually saves the whole Israelite population. Ishmael should have never been. It was a mistake. It wasn't part of God's master plan. His plan was for his his plan is never for us to fail, never for us to sin. Ishmael was the son not of promise. He was the wrong one. Yet God will take even when we're unfaithful to God, he will redeem it to have his will accomplished. That's the first thing that should encourage us this morning. As, jo- as Joseph goes to Egypt, he gets um, bought by a guy named Potiphar, and he's not, he is a slave in a land that's not his own with no family, and he is just being faithful. And the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph in the, in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And he began to rise up until the master trusted him with everything. So he goes from an obscure, uh, getting sold into slavery, an obscure, uh, obscure slave, and this is pretty demeaning, but you know, normally when, when slaves get sold to another group of people at the auction block, just to give us some understanding, they're naked. They're stripped naked because the owner, the buyer, wants to make sure that they're a good specimen. I mean, this was not a fun time for Joseph. But he stays faithful, and it says that the Lord was with him, and he promoted him in, the, in his master's house. Later on, we know the story that Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of, of trying to rape her, and because he wouldn't be with her. He was too faithful. And so this Egyptian master, Potiphar, he has him thrown into prison. Well, it's, it's important, again, for us to know that the, the punishment for trying to rape for a slave trying to rape a master's wife was not jail. It was death. He should have been killed. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he goes to prison instead. And in that prison, in time, the Bible says again, the Lord was with Joseph, and the prison guard began to trust him with all the affairs of the prison so much that he didn't even bother with anything in the prison. Joseph ran the prison from the inside. We know the story. The, the baker and the butler, they get thrown in jail. They both have dreams. 
and, and Joseph uh, interprets the dreams. One of them loses their head, the other one goes back to the presence of Pharaoh, and, and Joseph still stays in prison for another time. He was in prison for years. When he finally gets out, he then is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream and eventually save Israel. And I, I flew by that. If you, if you don't know this, you should definitely read Genesis 37 all the way to the end to see what happens in the, in the life of, of the, the, the Jews. Joseph probably didn't feel God. He wasn't in a prosperous situation. He would have far rather been with his family. But as he walked through these bad places in life, he gave glory to God and he remained faithful and the Lord was with him. So whether you're like a Jonah who's in rebellion and in sin who's running away from God, remember, God never leaves. Whether you're like Joseph, who really, Joseph, if, if Joseph's big sin was, was that he was dumb enough to tell the brothers that they had bowed down to him, that's not too bad. Look what happened to him. Basically, he just had a tough life. And some of you have had some really difficult moments in your life. God is with you all the time. Psalm 23, we can quote it, right? Isn't there a part of the valley, the shadow of death? Does anyone know that part? Yea, though I, the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what's awesome about that? It doesn't say, yea, though I live in the valley of the shadow of death. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us in this room have gone through the valley of the shadow of death. We've walked through it. Some of you might be walking through it today. You will walk all the way through it. What does it say after that? They, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Now, I don't think David always felt God. In fact, the, the psalm that, that um, Jesus quotes, Jesus quotes a psalm, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was written by David. He was, Jesus was re-quoting what David wrote. David felt the same way, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet in, psalm two, in another psalm that he wrote, he said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Is he, is he mistaken? No. God was with him, but he didn't always feel God with him. And who can relate with that? We all can. And if you can't, haven't yet, there'll be a time probably in your life that's going to come where you don't feel God and you feel abandoned by him. Be of good cheer. Be of good courage. The Bible says he has overcome the world. He is with us. He's never going to leave us. And we have to sometimes focus and remember that God is with me to bless me, to prosper me, that I might be a blessing to others. At the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Joshua, Deuteronomy 31, 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And Joshua, at the beginning, God says the same thing. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be terrified. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
I believe it was Elisha was, was running again from, from the enemy. They wanted to kill him because he was giving all the secrets over to the Israelites. And so they wanted to kill him, and he was with his servant. And they were all surrounded by the enemies. I don't remember, know if you remember this. And he was, as they sat there surrounded by the enemies, they were going to kill Elisha. The servant says, what are we going to do? And he basically says, just stand still. He, and he prayed, God, open the eyes of my servant. And immediately the servant looked up, and on the hills surrounding them were all the chariots of God. They didn't just appear. They were there. And the servant's eyes were opened to see that God was with him. God is always with us, but we don't always believe it. We don't always feel it. And we often can't see it. But we need to be encouraged to know that he is with us. We need to be encouraged, it says, that the Holy Spirit is in us. And we cannot have, the, we don't have the Spirit of Christ if we don't belong to him. And which the opposite is that, is that if we belong to him, we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us, the Bible says in Romans. He's with us. He's for us. He's in us. He says in, in uh, Jeremiah that he has plans for us, plans to prosper us and make us successful. And we're not talking about the prosperity of the world. We're talking about biblical, spiritual prosperity. You know, that, that kind that, that says when we walk into a room, God walks in with us and begins to bless our situation like Joseph. Joseph was still a slave and he was still poor in Potiphar's house and in the prison but he had the blessings of God wherever you go you carry with you the blessings and the presence of God but we need to remind ourselves of his truth it's one of the reasons we have to be people of the word who who read the stories of the saints who've gone through the struggles that we go through and seen the victory that God has now sometimes the victory is just heaven we don't always get to see our victory on earth but there's always a victory. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes, but God is going to go with us. Hopefully we're not being dragged all the time. But we can know that he'll carry us and he'll walk with us. When the Israelites were coming into the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan. Remember that? And I think the crossing of the Red Sea was pretty miraculous. I think the crossing of the Jordan was even more miraculous. I find it easier to, to work with water that's still than it is to work with water that's coming in like a river. When he stopped the river, it had to stop and flood all the places around it. It's pretty awesome. And they walked through the middle of the Jordan. And remember what God had them do. Take stones from the center of the river. Take stones, 12 of them, carry them from the center of the river. When you get out of the river, you're going to build a monument. And then he says, when you pass by that monument, tell your children what he did. Why? Because you need to remind them and remind yourself that God is good, that he's always with you, that he'll help you cross the Jordan. One of the things that we need to do for each other and for ourselves is to build monuments monuments in your life whether it's a journal or something that physically can remind you of God's faithfulness in your life that's why journaling can be so powerful 
when you write down, don't just write down prayer requests. Write down the answers to the prayer requests so you can go back and say, God was faithful, and he answered, and he answered, and he answered. And you hear the stories of other people, how he answered them, and you remember that. And, and so that when you're going through the trials of life, you can say, he has not failed me yet. He won't fail me. He hasn't failed me thus far, and he won't fail me. It's powerful. It's powerful. David, can we get this microphone on? I'm going to try to... I'm going to play a song through the mic. That's why I need it. Can you hear that? Just... Listen to the words as they come on.
If you're feeling far from the Lord this morning, and you know it's because you have walked away from Him, and you're maybe doing things that you know that you're not supposed to, when Peter walked out of the boat and took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. But the moment he called, Jesus was there. Didn't take any time. In James 4, 8, it says, Draw near to me. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Just draw near to him this morning. And immediately, the relationship will be reestablished. The Bible says that he is near the brokenhearted. Well, we know he's physically near us all the time, but he's close with you if you're in the time of brokenheartedness this morning. As the song we just listened to, let's not forget. Let's remember he'll do it again. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your love for us, your grace toward us. You know, we thank you that you're always with us. God, we thank you that you've seen us through our trials, our tribulations, our successes, and our failures. God, you've never failed us. Even when we were faithless, you remained faithful. God, help us to put our eyes upon you the author and the finisher of our faith and continue to walk this life. Encourage us today to know that wherever we go, your presence goes with us. In Jesus' name, amen.